people can tell you whatever they want. You know, they can tell you, well, my God is real. They can tell you Islam's real. They can tell you Buddhism's real. But until I see the result, I'm not going to believe it. You may not be like me. You may go bl on blind faith, and that's and that's great. If you're believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're believing in the Bible, off of blind faith, I you know I say that's great. I'm I'm happy for you, and I but I want you to experience things. I want you to experience a manifestation to solidify your faith, to show you it's not just words on a page. It's not just what your grandmother told you to believe. It's not just what your father told you to believe. And even though that's good, we need to be encouraged to believe. But I want you to have an experience. And I believe tonight, even through this message, you're going to receive something in the spirit. God's going to speak to you through this message. God is going to maybe even manifest a miracle. I believe he's going to manifest miracles in your lives as you hear this message tonight. Hallelujah. Those of you who aren't familiar with that, you may think it's, you know, it's gibberish. That's fine because the natural mind is going to tell you that spiritual things are ridiculous. But I speak in my own personal prayer language, and that's for every believer. You can receive that if you believe that. All right. So I have you experienced. I'm going to ask you, have you experienced the kingdom of heaven coming down and touching earth? If not, I want you to experience that. And I'm going to pray that you experience that. The fact is there are spiritual laws, principles and realities at work. All around us, whether we realize it or not. Not only are these spiritual realities at work, but for every spirit in operation, there's a result. That's why the title is The Spirit Realm and the Result. For every spiritual reality, for every spirit that is operating around us, there is a result. And we're going to talk about that tonight, what those results are, what some of them are. I don't have time to go into every single result of a demonic spirit or every single result of a Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit or angels. But we're going to talk about some of those things and we're going to cover a lot of scripture. So get your Bibles out, please get your Bibles out, get your notepad out if you want to learn. I believe you're going to receive great revelation tonight through the Holy Spirit, not through me. I'm just a vessel. I'm just an instrument. I'm just a mouthpiece for God, but I praise him for using me because I, butch I should have been locked up for the rest of my life. I'm telling you, I should have been locked up. I should have been dead a thousand times over. Let's pray before we get into this, Father. I believe that you're going to release great revelation and insight tonight, Father, into the spiritual realities, into the spirit realm, and people will see the result of your holiness, the result of your spirit, the result of angelic beings, ministering spirits, Lord, warrior spirits that are going out, Father, and fighting in this time, in this hour, healing, restoring, and delivering, Father, your people, and drawing those who don't know you unto yourself. Draw those who don't know you. Draw those who are not saved unto yourself tonight by the power of your spirit. Anoint my lips, Lord, for service. Anoint me as I would speak your message, not my own words, but yours, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight we're going to cover the result of the operation of the Holy Spirit, the result of walking in the flesh, and the result of demonic spirits, or operating under the influence of a demonic spirit, which I've also operated under anyone who's lived in the world who has done worldly things and lived a worldly life, has operated in the flesh and operated under the influence of a demonic spirit, whether you realize it or not. So before uh, before we get started here, or really jump into this, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And before I start breaking down the three different operations that I'm going to talk about tonight and the result of each, I want you to stop and think about why you believe in Jesus or whatever it is you believe. 
right now because I know that it's possible there's people on here who are not believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And this scripture speaks to that. 1 Peter 3.15 says that we should also be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us to give a reason for the hope that is in us. If someone asked you right now, I want an answer and I want a reason for the hope that's in you. Would you be able to give them an answer? I'd be able to give them many answers um, to that. I could tell them stories, testimonies, and you may not have that ready in your mind right now as to what you would say, but I want you to be prepared. I want to prepare you for evangelism, for witnessing, for going out and speaking to others about what God's done in your life. Get your story together. Write it down. If it's you know, Try to get one page together of a quick story you could tell someone as you're interacting with, with people in the streets or in your workplace or wherever you are, because we have to spread the message now. I believe global revival is coming, but we are to be used as a part of that revival. We're not to just pray for revival. We're to be revival. Hallelujah. Hey, Diane, Paul, thank you for joining us. So you can base your beliefs on what, what others have told you. Now, these are things we can base our beliefs on. I want to start with that. We can believe or base our beliefs on what others have told us. You can base them on what are considered sacred writings like the Holy Bible. And I believe that's the only book that is true. Let's just state that for the record. Let me state that. You can base your beliefs on observations or you can base your beliefs on experience. Since we're talking about the result of spirits, and the flesh, these results would be considered experiences that lead to a belief. So the point I'm trying to make is you can't experience something in the spirit realm or in the flesh without it affecting your belief system. Can we agree on that? You can't experience something in the flesh or in the spirit that's not going to affect your belief system, what you actually believe in your heart. I'm speaking from experience when I say that once you've experienced the presence of God, you'll need no further convincing. He does the convincing himself. The Holy Spirit, that's how he operates. He convinces us and convicts us of sin. The Spirit of God is a person. And I'm not going to dive too deep into who the Holy Spirit is because I could talk for hours and hours. I could talk for days on who the Holy Spirit is. And it's one of my favorite subjects to speak on. But the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And what that means is the Holy Spirit isn't an it. It's a he. The Holy Spirit is a he because he possesses mind, will, and emotions. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can get upset with you. The Holy Spirit can be quenched. The Holy Spirit has emotions. He can fill you with joy or he can, or he can allow you to experience sorrow because of the injustices that are happening around you or the things that are taking place around you. He is just as much as God, he is just as much God as the Father and the Son. He was involved in creation and he searches the hearts and minds of men. John 16, 8. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The fear of the Lord will come upon us. When the Spirit of the Lord comes upon us, the fear of the Lord will come upon us. He's going to convict us of our sin. He's going to convict us and show us that judgment will come eventually. We have to turn. We have to repent. We have to stay clean before the, before the Father, before His eyes. The Holy Spirit brings, to us, or brings us to a place of repentance where we must choose life or death. 
Once we choose to receive this new life, the Holy Spirit makes us new. He, or we, excuse me, we became reborn by the Spirit of God. And a reference to that is John 3, 3. I'm going to give you some scriptures and we're not going to go there, but I'm going to tell you, look into these things. So look into John 3, 3. Once we're born of the Spirit, we realize our thoughts are different. 1 Corinthians 2, 16. Look into that. Our motives become more pure. If we're not pleasing God, then we are grieved. Okay, Our thoughts start to become more pure as the Holy Spirit cleanses us. And our spirit becomes grieved when we're walking in sin, when we're falling and stumbling in sin. We are taught and led in all truth by the Holy Spirit. God doesn't lie or deceive in any way, but his spirit leads us in truth. He knows every cell of our bodies. He knows us all in all. He searches and examines our thoughts, our mind, our heart, our intent, our will. Those who walk according to the Spirit of God will produce good fruit. Our fruit is what the Spirit of God produces in us and through us. Matthew 12.33 says this, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. You can't be living in the Spirit and producing rotten fruit. That's a way that you can know if someone is truly a Christian, truly a follower of Christ, truly dedicated and sold out for Christ. If they're producing fruit and that fruit lasts, that fruit stays and doesn't wither, it doesn't rot, it doesn't fade. Our fruit is a result of the Spirit. Results of the Holy Spirit's operation in our lives are this. Here are some of them. Pay attention and if you want to take notes on this, please do. The fruit is a result of the Holy Spirit. Results of the Holy Spirit's operation again in our lives are these. Long-suffering, kindness, humility, gratitude, clarity of mind, a desire to serve others. You won't be easily angered. Pure thoughts. God will purify your thoughts. Your mind will be rewired to think in accordance with the will of God and with the word of God. You'll rejoice in the truth and justice. You'll rejoice in justice. You'll have unwavering faith that will begin to be produced. Hope that doesn't fade. Joy that cancels out depression. The sick are healed. The broken are restored. The restless are given true peace and satisfaction. The spiritually dead are awakened to new life with a new perspective and a heart of flesh. So what do I mean by a heart of flesh? Here's what God speaks of the transformative power of his spirit. Let's go to Ezekiel 36, 26 together. I'll give you a minute to get there. Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, 26. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Kakeb, thank you for joining us. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. The greatest miracle is witnessing a rebirth. Witnessing someone going from this type of person to a new person. A person who is gentle and loving and expresses the virtue of God. That is filled with the, the virtue of God. The power of God. I used to have such a hard heart, a calloused heart because of the things that I had experienced, because of the things that I had done, okay? The devil robbed me of some things, but some of them I just turned right over, and I said, here you go, you can have them. 
But when it came time to fight for them and, and get them back, it wasn't easy. But I'm on my way of reestablishing myself in the truth. And I pray the same for you, that you take back everything the enemy has stolen from you. Hallelujah. So men and women filled with hate, rage, lust, greed, and all kinds of evil become gentle, loving people, full of the virtue of God himself. I can personally testify that the miracle of rebirth, the miracle of rebirth and transformation has taken place in my life. So there are some things God, that God is only capable of. He's only capable of doing these types of things where he turns someone who's vile, who's dirty, who's filled with sin and makes him clean. God is the only one who can do that. The devil doesn't want to do that. Why would he do that? He wants to turn you. He wants to turn you into a filthy, uh, sinful person. He wants to take your intentions that were for good and turn them for evil and turn them from his own intentions. He makes things look real good. He makes things look perfect. But when you get involved with him, when he's done with you, he'll take you out. He'll kill you. But God, he extends our life. He adds, he adds time. He adds years onto our life. The enemy wants to snuff us out. He wants to end us. When he's done with us, when he's done, when we're done doing his will, he kills us. And anybody that knows the ways of the enemy will tell you the same thing. So the religious people, for the most part, in Jesus' day hated him because he called them out and told them to repent. And he didn't just tell the prostitutes, the, the alcoholics, and those that were living in blatant sin to repent. He told the religious people to repent because they already thought they were righteous. Think about that. And the religious in our day are the same. The religious in our day... And I'm, you know, I'm not judging, I'm not hating on nobody, I'm just saying, I'm just giving you the truth. There's priests and pastors and leaders out there that think they're already righteous. They think they're saved because of the good works that they do. They think they're saved because they feed the homeless. They think they're saved because they gave somebody some new clothes. No, you're saved when you believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose from the grave, and you choose to follow him with all of your heart. You're made clean, you're made pure after that. But before that, no good work is going to save you. Because you gave money to the poor, that's not going to save you. Because you give up your body to be burned as a martyr, that's not going to save you. But the perfect love of God that's been expressed through the cross of Jesus Christ is going to save you. God is a merciful God and he wants you to be united with him once again. So let's read John 3, 2 together and find out what Nicodemus says to Jesus. Okay, let's go to first, or excuse me, not first John, John 3, verse 2. John 3, verse 2. It reads, He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus then tells him, no one can enter into the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. So I'm going to ask you that question tonight. Are you born again? Do you know that you're born again? Have you experienced a change on the inside that has affected you on the outside? That's what being born again is about. If you want to experience the results of God's spirit, the first step is to become born again by believing in the Son of God. 
If you don't believe in the Son of God, if you don't believe in Jesus, you'll never be born again. And I'm going to get a lot of hate, and I get a lot of hate, and other born-again Christians get a lot of hate because we say Jesus is the only way to heaven. A lot of other preachers are going to tell you there's many ways to heaven, but no. There's one way, and I want to point you in that direction, point you to the cross. I'm not going to compromise for anyone. Because when you know the truth, you cling to it. Now let's talk about the result of walking in the flesh. And I know walking in the flesh all too well. I walked in the flesh for far too long, and I got sick of doing it my way. Now I do it God's way. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's a daily battle that rages between the Spirit and the flesh, between the carnal mind and the mind of Christ. Romans 8.6 says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The flesh has a mind of its own. It thinks only of itself. The flesh craves pleasure and is never satisfied. I could tell you firsthand it's never satisfied. That lust is never satisfied. That craving for drugs is never satisfied. You keep t chasing the dragon, you keep chasing your tail around in a circle, and you can never catch it. But when you experience the peace of God through the Holy Spirit, there's nothing that can fulfill you and satisfy you like the Holy Spirit. So ask for more of God's Spirit. Ask for more of Him. And we can't live a godly life without the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it in our own strength without the Holy Spirit's power. Our flesh will tell us we're strong enough without God's help, but the flesh will fail us and Jesus never will. The flesh is full of pride, envy, lust, and every kind of evil leading to sin and depravity that you can think of. Never allow your flesh to speak so loud that you can't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. When you hear your voice speaking up and screaming at you, you tell it to shut up. And you tell the devil to shut up too when he's trying to whisper in your ear. Because you know the flesh and the devil will only lead to one thing, sin and death. Our flesh must be put to death daily, and our flesh, or our flesh will again lead us to sin and rebellion toward God. Romans 8.13 expresses this perfectly as it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the Spirit, or if by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Next, I'm going to describe the results that come from operating under the influence of demonic spirits. So I spent the larger portion of my message tonight talking about the Holy Spirit because I always want to focus more on God than the enemy. But it's crucial, it's necessary to speak about the enemy because I want to expose his plans and the assignments that are being launched against your life, against your family, against your household because he wants to take you out. Once you've become a born-again Christian, there's a target on your back, and the enemy wants to snipe you out. He wants to get you in the crosshairs and take you out. So I will expose the plots of the enemy, no matter what that means for me, no matter what attacks are launched upon my life, and there's been many in the past few years. But I will continue to stand because it's not my strength that's at work within me. It's the strength of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The thing about demons is that they will do their best to convince you that they can help you and that they are actually good. This happens with people a lot of times when they're convinced 
there's a dead relative around them and that they want to contact them. They want to speak with them. They want to come into their life and comfort them. And as they open that door, as they open that door to that supposed dead relative, they've come to find that it's actually a demon that they're speaking with, that they're interacting with. So to put it simply, God is good and the devil is bad. There's no in-betweens. There's no gray areas with that. Okay, I don't want you to believe there's dead spirits that are wandering around that mean you good, that are that have good intentions towards you. There's no such thing as a ghost. They're demons impersonating dead people. However you want to take that, that's the truth. That's what the Bible says. There's nothing about dead relatives wandering around as spirits in the Bible because it's just it's not there and it's just not true. John 10:10 says, "The thief comes only to steal steal and kill and destroy i came that they may have life and have it abundantly jesus exposes the true nature of satan here while revealing that he came to impart life demons cause confusion fear hate depression lust and every evil thing you could possibly think of to put it simply satan will steal anything you allow him to steal and like i said before there's a lot of things that the enemy stole from me in my addiction and in my times of walking in the flesh and walking under demonic influence. But a lot of it, I just gave it over because I didn't even think I was worthy of it, to be honest with you. The enemy got in my mind and I let him get in my mind and he told me, you know, they're better off without you. You know, a lot of people that were, were good influences in my life, he said, they're better off without you. You'll corrupt them. You're no good. You'll never be nothing. Just live this life of sin and, and you'll have pleasure. And I did have pleasure. I had a lot of pleasure for far too long. Until I realized that pleasure, that lust for that pleasure would never end. It would never end. And when I went to hell, I realized when I ended up in hell, that torture would never end. I want you to find the peace that will last in this life right on into eternity. And usually, let's back get back on subject. Usually... These demons will enter through a trauma, through a trauma, traumatic experience. First, demons attack the mind because if they can take your mind, they can take everything. The results of demonic influence. Sorry, I have to fix something on my screen here. The results of demonic influence are lack of self-control, anxiety, fear, hatred, evil intent, lack, lack of empathy, lack of trust for anyone, sickness, Self-centeredness, memory loss, addictions, irritability, indifference, negative th thinking, cursing, blasphemy, gossip, slander, violence, and the list goes on. All kinds of evil. And our two greatest enemies are the devil and ourselves. Satan appeals to the flesh and tempts us to fulfill the pleasures of this life, the desires of our flesh. Don't let the enemy alter the plan and purpose that God has assigned to your life. We either choose a life of temporary pleasure or we choose a life of sacrifice that will be greatly rewarded. You can either seek comfort from this world or become acquainted with the comforter. The choice is yours and yours alone. But I must warn you that the easy way is the way to destruction. The road to destruction is broad, but the road 
of righteousness. The righteous path is narrow. It's difficult. But on that difficult road, as we walk through these trials and tribulations and testings that I spoke about when I started this message, when we walk through them, we know there's something greater on the other side. So don't give in. Don't give up. Don't say, okay, I've had enough. Don't lose your faith. Because there's a time that we've entered into in this season, in this hour, leading up to the return of the Lord, where the enemy is going to be in your ear all day, every day, telling you it's time to give up. It's time to stop believing. It's time to throw in the towel. When persecution comes, the enemy is going to be right there saying, is it really worth it? Yes, it's worth it. It's worth it. When you cross over, when you enter those gates and Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's all going to be worth it. It's all going to be worth it to have Jesus wrap his arms around you and hold you forever. 